Okay, we're in week three. Why don't you open up your Bibles? I'm going to be reading out of the NLT today, and I'm going to fly and get to a moment where we can be ministered to. Um, So I'm very excited about it. Uh, For those of you that may not have been here the last couple of weeks, we've been working through the book of Ruth. It's four chapters. It's an incredible story. Uh, Some theologians say it's the most complete short writing that's ever been done. Uh, we, We see some incredible things unfolding, but the arc of this whole book is about God's redeeming power, God's redeeming grace. And you see it through the life of some people. We see out of Ruth that there is a story where God will be sovereign and his master plan is at work even in the day-to-day of your life and my life. Your, your life is, is not unseen. God actually counts the hairs on your head. He, he's actually interested in the detail of your life. And we see that expressed here through the life of Naomi, Ruth, and a gentleman called Boaz. We also see that his overarching plan and sovereignty in our life. God is good. and He's available and he's working for his glory. And we get to be a part of that because it's about his glory. And that's what we see in the scripture. So a little bit of, um, a, little bit of uh, a preamble being that if you haven't read the book of Ruth recently or haven't been in it, there is a lady by the name of Naomi. Uh, she's Jewish. Her husband, Amalek, or Amalek, I can never say it. I'm going with that. They leave Israel because of a famine. We know the famine is due to sin. She has two sons. They get married. The husband and the two sons die, die, leaving three childless widows. Now, in the ancient world, that means they're very vulnerable. They're in a very vulnerable place, no place of provision, uh, no place of protection. They're in a bad place. So what happens is Naomi decides to come back to Israel. There's a conversation along the way where she says to her daughter-in-laws, they're all widows, hey, daughter-in-laws, I've got no plan for you. I don't have hope. I don't feel like I know what to do. So I want to release you back to your family. Now, they were not Jewish. They were pagan uh, religion. Uh, They were Moabites. And one of the daughters leaves, but Ruth stays with Naomi saying, I want to go where you go. I want to live where you live. I want to die where you die. I'm committed to being with you. So they go back to Jerusalem. And at the end of chapter one, we finished with the premise that bitterness is not the end of your story. Naomi, she says, I went away full, I've come back empty. Now we know because of hindsight, there are other chapters to be written. What we focused in on in that chapter and what the Lord sat on, I had multiple points, but the one that people seem to connect with is we need to understand bitterness is not the end. Know this, you can have the most bitter life, struggles, Hard times, trials, at the end of the day, it will never be bitter if you have Jesus Christ. It will always end sweet. So that was the end of chapter one. Then chapter two, Jazzy brought that last week and there were some beautiful things there. But the one that sat in my heart is how beautiful is God? That when we participate with what he is doing, he actually provides dignity for us. You know that Ruth had a way to earn the handout. 
but it wasn't really a handout. It was a welfare system, and God had protected them by saying, hey, I'll provide for you, but you have to work. It's about active participation. We need to understand, and I'll lean into that this week, that God is a God of sovereignty. God is a God who has an overarching plan, but you actually need to actively participate. It's all through Scripture. It doesn't passively happen for you. Draw near to God. Active. He'll draw near to you. So in this chapter, you see the beauty of what's going on. There's no accidents. Once again, we came to because God is sovereign. So we land in chapter 3 today. See, if you're tired today in your walk, I want you to listen. If you're caught in negative thinking, negative mindset, lean in today. If you've given up, you need to listen. If you've stopped seeing God as the God of miracles, lean in. Today, I like to call it the beautiful turnaround. Because at the end of this chapter, you will see where Ruth said, I went away full, I came back empty. At the end of this, she begins to see the plan of God. But not only that, she's actually in abundance once more. Because there's a great turnaround. Have you ever been in a situation where things have just turned on their head? That's Ruth chapter 3. You know, if you watched the football last weekend and you saw the first half of Essendon versus Carlton, you would have thought that, hey, this story could go either way. If you watch the third quarter, I just, no reason to say this, but other than Essendon, and I've had nothing to brag about for a long time, that third quarter, things turned around. Things turned around. You know, there are people here in our community that are struggling with cancer. I'm believing things are going to turn around. God's going to move. God is sovereign. And today we get to see an example of that happening. Let's now turn to Ruth chapter 3. Like I said, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, it's good to have translations. This, this is a thought for thought that's easy. The NIV is another thought for thought. Uh, there's the New King James. That's a great book of the Bible. There's a lot of the, the preacher guys here love the ESV. That's the spiritual version, uh, the most accurate according to all of them. Just read a Bible, you understand. Hallelujah. Get a variety of them so you can see different perspectives. But God will speak to you when you seek Him and you seek wisdom and counsel. The NLT Bible is the Bible I'm reading from today. Let's read from chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read. We'll talk about it. I'm going to read and talk about it. And then we're going to ask God to move as we apply it to our lives. One day. So setting the context, they've gone back to Jerusalem. They're living uh, based upon the social system. All of a sudden, they realize that, hey, wait a minute. There is a guy here that is related to us. And we know that in the ancient world, which we'll talk about if you don't, that he was a family redeemer. So what happens is they keep focused in on that. The writer wants us to understand that. So we're going to look at it. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz, a close relative of ours, if you're highlighting things, highlight that. And he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be widowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. 
Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. I love this. In chapter 1, Ruth is saying, I've got no plan. I've got no plan. I've got no idea. Let's, let's close this thing down. Let's give up. Let's split up in the hope that we can have a better life. And now all of a sudden, as she remained faithful in her walk, as she took day by day, all of a sudden you begin to see God's sovereignty lining up in your life. And all of a sudden it's like, I think I might have a plan. Have you ever been there in your life? This is just not working. This is just not happening for me. I'm really struggling right now, but God's telling me not to give up on it. And as you begin to walk it out, all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. Has anybody ever been there? You see all of a sudden you go, hey, there is hope in this moment. Now, like I said, it it wants you to lean into Boaz is a close relative of ours. That statement is the reason why this chapter begins to unfold is because he is actually in the original language called a goel, a family redeemer, a person who holds the responsibility to carry the family name through a child for the close relative. So if you had a brother and your brother was married, and then your brother died, it became the brother's responsibility to bear a child for the brother's name so that they could walk in the inheritance and a few other things that was going on. That's really important. That'll make more sense as we work through the chapter. And take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. I want you to see that there could be potentially some writers say some imagery happening in this moment because we know that in ancient culture, if you were a widow, you dressed a certain way. And now this could be a transitional point where all of a sudden she's sending out, hey, I'm ready to remarry. I'm ready to to move into a next season. I'm no longer in a season of mourning, but hey, uh, I could be walking into a new season. Verse four, be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman laying at his feet or lying at his feet. Who are you? She asked. I am your servant, Ruth. She replied, spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now there's definitely some stuff that has happened just in that portion of scripture that I think it's worth leaning into. And the first thing that I want to lean into and just quickly is this ain't a controversial scene. Okay, what we know enough about what the scripture says about Boaz, he was a man of righteousness, he was a man of uprightness. It actually goes on later in the portion of scripture to talk about that Ruth is also a woman woman of similar character, that there is nothing going on there. We know this, it'll be explained later because he's a man of process, but it's not about that. It's not about a raunchy moment in the scene where she's coming in, but rather there is three things going on. 
There's obedience, there's humility, and there's actually a proposal. That's actually what's going on. It's a marriage proposal. First of all, I just want to look at the obedience factor. And I'm not going to add to this actually today for the sake of time, but Ruth's reply to Naomi is, I will do everything you say. I think there's power in complete obedience, 100% obedience. Don't go halfway. You know that if you only go halfway, it's actually not obedience. Obedience is actually completing the task at which has been asked. So it's like you can go the whole way, but if you don't actually complete it, it's not all in. You miss steps. You do things dodgy. That's not obedience. That's pretending. And that's not what we're about. So then all of a sudden you see this cultural moment. Now, now this is a moment I want you guys to understand and I want us to lean into together. She uncovers his feet and she lies down next to him. Now, I want you to look at, I'm going to read Ruth 3, 9 out of the ESV version, the English Standard Version. Hello. Um, and he said this. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are my redeemer. Now, the symbolism going on in this gesture, you find out what's happening if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. What's happening here, and I'll read you the scripture, it says this. This is God talking to Israel, okay, to his people that he made a covenant with. A covenant like a marriage covenant. That's what he's doing in this moment. Ezekiel 16, 8 says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. I spread the corner. Now, corner in the original language can lean into the same word as wings. Okay, wings, corner, interchangeable. What's happening there? Of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made a vow to you. Uh, and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. So in Ezekiel, what's happening is God is saying to Israel, I'm going to take you into a covenant, relation, a covenant relationship like my wife. It's a marriage covenant. And what happened when he says, I'm going to cover you with the edge or come under my wings, he's saying you are going to come under my covering, my protection, you are mine. So now culturally, what Ruth is saying here is I want to make a covenant of loyalty with you. I want to come under your covering. I want you to put your wings of protection over me. In short, marry me for you are my redeemer. Now, what's really interesting is when you begin to look at wings, you should be reminded, well, you shouldn't, you don't have to be. I'm not saying that you have to be. But I was reminded, if you go back to Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, and this is what Boaz is saying to Ruth, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings... You have come to take refuge. See, there's a play on words here. She's saying, hey, you know, as you have said, I've come under the protection of the Most High God. Why don't you be like your God? Why don't you walk faithfully under Him and do the same for me? Cover me just as the Lord has done. Follow His lead. Do the same for me. Let me through marriage come under your covering. 
It's a proposal. And a beautiful one at that. Have you ever had somebody come in? I'm, I'm just curious because I think humility at play here is excellent. Have you ever, ever had somebody come in and make a demand? And I don't know about you. I don't even sometimes, I'm not even in a bad mood. But it's like it switches it on and they're like, come and make a demand. And I'm like, I don't even care what the demand is. No. Has anybody been there or you make life difficult? You know, or if you're a parent, you go, excuse me? You know, you just got to remember, both my parents were off boats. So I was like, I knew how to fear for my life growing up. You don't understand. It's like if they come in with a demand, it instantly irritates you. Hey. But yet what happens when someone comes in humbly? There's no expectation. There's no agenda. They're being transparent in the way that they ask. And then all of a sudden that humble gesture, it changes your heart. Now, what's important to understand in this is that Ruth actually had rights. And she actually had a right to demand In Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10, you find out that in the line of being a family redeemer, there was actually quite a financial burden given to the redeemer. Because think about this. I now have to take into my home my brother's wife. I have to bear her a child, which is an economic cost. I also have to send my household out to look after the fields that is my brother's inheritance until his child is old enough to look after them himself. So there is a huge economic cost to being a family redeemer. So you find out in Deuteronomy 25 that if you didn't want to redeem the person, the the society would see it because you're selfish, because you think about your own money because you don't want to do it, because you realize that there's a lot of work involved. And what would happen, you should read it, it's a crazy, you, you take, the, the, the widow would take a shoe off and, 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 you know. And then the family would be known shamefully in the community. You know, there's shame on your family because you didn't have the courage to redeem your family when it was your responsibility. So Ruth could have come in and said, You're my family redeemer. I have a right to bear an heir for my husband and my family line. And you are my redeemer. Therefore, you should do it. But Ruth did not use her rights as a weapon. And in our culture, too many people are using their rights as a weapon, but rather she laid them down in a humble approach that God's blessing would be on. She came in and she answers with, I am your servant, Ruth. She wasn't a victim. She was a humble servant. She was saying to Boaz, I am your servant. I humbly come to you asking for redemption. I honor you. I submit to you. I'm putting my future in your hands. It's not a picture of a demand. It's a picture of the most sincerest submission. And by the grace of God, and a humble request, Boaz wants to do it. Let's read on from 11. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. 
This is Boaz speaking. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. But while it is true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. So stay here tonight. And in the morning, I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring me your cloak and spread it out. And he measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, you can just imagine her waiting at the window, you know what I mean? I just still remember when I, when I was going to propose to April and several dates I'd go out on her and there'd always be a presence in the window to see if anything had gone down. I can just imagine what Naomi would have been like and she says, what happened? My daughter. Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her and she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we, are we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. There's a few things that I want to lean into, which we'll get to. The first thing, I want to look at the fact that Boaz does not cut corners. We're going to return to that in a moment. He measured out six scoops. I just want to lean into the fact there that Ruth in chapter one, not, uh, Naomi in chapter one has been like, I'm empty. It's an estimated six and a half kilos of barley that's come more than she was able to gather on her best day of gathering. It was an absolute blessing and abundance that was coming from God. It's a great turnaround. And I love the fact that at the end, she says, just be patient. Because who knows, we need to trust the Redeemer and not force things along. So what do we learn from Ruth chapter 3? I, I want to I share with you some things. They begin to interlock now with the previous weeks and probably with next week because it's one piece of writing for us to learn that God's a redeeming God. He redeems those that are faithful to Him and we can never miss that picture. But there are some applications that we can begin to look at in the Scripture. Let's learn this from Naomi and Ruth. If you see godly opportunity, take some initiative. Now, I spoke about this earlier. At the start of this chapter, Naomi sees there's no opportunity. She's then transformed into an understanding, hey, there is a moment. There is an opportunity where we can seek out a redeemer. And I see in it three things. I see time being a window of opportunity. I see preparation, making sure you're ready for that opportunity. And I also see trust. Now, at some point, you've got to make a time and commit when God is bringing opportunity into your life. There should be no more being obsessed with every detail. Trust God. Trust God. In this moment, we see that Naomi goes, I know where he's going to be tonight. There is an opportunity and there is a moment that if we're ready, we might be able to walk in this. He goes, he's going to be at the threshing floor. 
He's going to eat and he's going to sleep. It's like they all must have done the same rhythm. It's incredible that she could have an understanding that that is what's going on. And when he falls asleep, this is what you're going to do. There was a window of opportunity. Then it says, now go and wash and prepare and put on your nice clothes and do all those things. There's preparation and then there's trust. For me, this one kept jumping out. How random is this advice? Sneak up on a man, uncover his feet, lay there, and then he'll tell you what to do. I want more detail at the end. He'll tell you what to do. What's he going to do at the end? You know, well, I don't know. You've got to understand. If you look at this as a picture of this is a Jewish custom for Jewish people, they would understand and get it. She's a Moabite woman. But she has trust in Naomi. She has trust in God that she will go and she will start the process. And as the process unfolds, God will lead. God will do what only he can do. I really feel that there are people that are too calculated in this room. And that you've removed faith from the process. Sometimes faith is going in a direction and letting God be God as the direction and as everything begins to unfold. You know, there are some people here that if God says, talk to that person about me, find an opportunity, prepare what you might say, and then go in faith. Don't worry about what might happen after that. Take an opportunity, think about what you might say, And go in faith. There are some people here you need to start a business. So make some preparation. Do your market research. Do what's required to use wisdom. And then the rest has to unfold as God leads you. Some people here, you need to start a connect group. Go. Make a time. Grab your window of opportunity. Get some sermon study guides. We write them and then leave the rest to God. Where are there godly windows of opportunity that you need to take in your life? Could it be that, knowing the whole picture, not knowing the whole picture can leave room for God to do things better than you would have done yourself. Not knowing the whole picture can leave room for God to do things better than you would have done yourself. Abraham didn't know the full picture when he left the homeland. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know the full picture when they wouldn't bow down. There was a lot of unknowns with David before Goliath, Esther before Pharaoh, Jairus when Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. Justin Hooper, when he gave up a secular career and is walking as the kids director with no plan. April and I, when we moved to Melbourne, to a church 15, there was an opportunity. There was a moment I felt God was on it. We prepared ourselves and then God has to write his story for his glory that we get to be a part of. But you can't be too calculated because if you are calculated to the point where you know everything, you are removing faith. God's hand of blessing is on faith. Have intent to honour God, but use your initiative. And your faith. And God will direct your path as you walk in obedience. I think the second thing is approach. Now, I spoke about this a little bit before. 
but there's power in a humble approach. Who here, honestly, stick your hand up quickly if you want God on your team? Me too. You know, the other week I was coaching Jai's basketball team. I love doing it. Great guys. We rock up to the game and I was like, oh, I literally was like, I reckon a descendant of Goliath got through. Like I was looking at this kid. I'm like, well, this is the under 14s team. Yeah, under 14s. Jai's just turned 12. I, I'm trying to figure out there's only one way I can describe the kid. Okay, why don't you put up one of those pictures, Caleb? See this guy here? This is Draper. He's the ruckman for the S. And this was what the under 14 kid looked like. Go to the next picture, bro. Look at that. That's literally same hair, same size. I'm like, in under 14s, it should be illegal to have a moustache. That's way too intimidating. As much as that's not the best moustache, let's all agree on that in unity. But what happened, and I was like, I'm not going to lie, we won that game. But honestly, before the game, I was like, I wish he was on my team. I want God on my team. And do you know what the Bible tells me? You see it in James. It's referring to Proverbs 3.34, that God will oppose the proud and gives favor to the humble. You want God on your team. Humility is what's required. Because if you were trying to do things in your own strength, you're trying to remove God from the picture, you're trying to be too calculated in what you were doing, there's pride there. I want God every step of the way. I want God to move. I want God to be God. And I know that my humility is linked to God's blessing because I know that I can't do anything right without the lead of the Holy Spirit in my life. God will oppose the proud. But I want God on my team. Ruth comes to Boaz with this incredible humility. So I'd ask you to evaluate yourself. When's the last time you've learned anything from someone? When's the last time you've been wrong? When's the last time you feel like you've put someone else's needs before your own? I'm not saying we're all in this category, but what I'm saying is this could be the beginnings of a prideful thing. Check it. I just ask that you would assess it. We can learn from anybody. You know, if you are wrong, be quick to apologize. In fact, let's talk quickly about ways that we can increase humility because if we can increase humility in our life, we're going to set up a chance for God to move. Here's the first one. And you know what? I'm preaching to myself. Talk less and listen more. Less answers and more questions. Listen with intent to hear them and understand them. Pastor John brought a great message around that. Not just listening to give your opinion and your answer. Listen more, talk less. I think be quick. The emphasis here is quick to admit when you were wrong. Because if you were slow, you were probably battling with pride. Quick doesn't mean instantly. It means at the next opportunity. This is a big one that I know that God's blessing sits upon. Gratitude over entitlement. I go back to the fact that Ruth did not use her rights as a weapon. It wasn't entitlement. It was gratitude and submission. 
and then apply wisdom to this, but accept feedback. And then finally, integrity in the process. Thanks, Jared. Proverbs 21.5 says this, good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts, shortcuts, shortcutting the process leads to poverty. You know, I remember uh, many years ago, um, I went to my friend's birthday party and he had it out the front of his house and um, my favorite, one of my favorite foods is Indian. Is there any Indian fans here? Oh, man. So I go to this party and there's like 20 different curries. And it was unbelievable. They made them all themselves. It was so beautiful. But the story goes that they bought a cabinet from a garage sale. And that cabinet had in it 40 recipes. And they wouldn't share those recipes with anyone. Because supposedly those recipes, it was actually the owner of an Indian restaurant, an elderly woman, and she'd left them in there and they'd grab them and claim them and took a hold of them and wouldn't share them. So I begged, give me one. Just give me one. I promise I won't tell anybody. Just give me one. I said, in fact, don't even ask your dad. Let's steal it. So eventually over a period of time and many other people asking, they gave up one recipe. Now, you've got to understand I like things moving along. We all know me by now. So anyway, we're there and he's gone, this is the process. You've got to chop things this way. You've got to cook the chicken this way. You've got to buy this brand and this brand only of this spice and this brand and this brand only of this thing. Try not to give away too much, you know what I mean? It's a secret. So it was a process that you had to do. And I was like Ruth. I said to him, I will do everything you've asked. And what happened is I began to cook it myself. And you know what I did? I just slapped everything together, bought whatever brand. And I nearly killed several people in this community trying to feed them that curry. It just was not like the original. It was not like the original. And on reflection, I realized, I think I'm shortcutting the process. I was told to do it a certain way, buy a certain brand, do a certain thing. So what happened is this time against my personality, I cut things the right way. I marinated the right length of time. I did all this and then eventually it began to look like the original. Because I didn't take shortcuts in the process. I am totally inspired by Boaz. He says out of nowhere, there's actually... A family redeemer that's closer than I, we should talk to him first. It wasn't about, I don't think, his personal desire. It was about doing what was right before God. He never shortcut the process. You know, when I didn't shortcut the process in the curry, it began to look more like the original. And when we don't take shortcuts as Christians, we begin to look more like Jesus. Boaz was not going to take a shortcut in the process. And because of that, God's blessing was on his life. In Proverbs 11:3, it says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. They're destroyed by their own deceitfulness. Don't rush the process. Hold on to integrity. That's what we learn from Boaz. 
I don't just want to do what's right by me. I want to do what is right before God. So today we learn from chapter 3 to use godly initiative. That our approach in life must carry humility and don't take shortcuts. So if we all stand today, there's three things I'm going to pray for. I know our time is gone. I pray that you'd grace us a little bit more. It's a special Sunday. The first thing is there are some people in this room. I need you to get up, step out in faith and use some godly initiative. I actually think there are business owners in this room. You know it because God is calling you to it. Take a step of faith. Take a window of opportunity. Use godly initiative. It's for His glory. That's how you know. And He's using your life. So if God is calling you, you'll know because the prosperity of the business won't be linked to your well-being, but the extension of the kingdom of God. There are some people here today, and this is a significant one. You're about to use your rights as a weapon. You have been rightfully offended. You have a right to be annoyed. I feel the Lord saying, lay it down and go to that situation for redemption, but with a humble approach. Humility. Start a business to some people. Do something entrepreneurial. It's literally specifically what I got. Now that, you know, it also, I think, be entrepreneurial for the kingdom. Start a connect group, start a ministry. Look at those things as well. Let God speak to you. Entrepreneurial doesn't just mean the business sector. It's all God's. There's different spheres of society. Where is God calling you? There are some people that need to realize you're not ruled out if it's not an accounting firm. There are other things people can do. Second one is humble approach. And the third one, don't take shortcuts in the process. When Naomi was broken and couldn't fight, it was Ruth's faith and integrity that kept her going. Can you imagine being at your lowest point in your life and someone saying, I'm not leaving, I'm sticking by you, I'm with you until the end. Sometimes we need to fight for integrity in the process for others. Encourage them, keep doing what you're doing. Do you know that when we, when we fight for others, Because if you think about that whole scenario, I'm so inspired that Boaz's response was, I cannot get over your level of family loyalty. Ruth was not just there for herself, but for her family. Sometimes you're going to need to take up the fight for your family. Sometimes you're going to need to take up the fight for this family. When we give to Hope Tall, you're taking up the fight for young people that don't even know they need it. Do you know I heard a story that inspired me from my dad just said it and my dad is one of the most inspiring people to me in the world. He had a friend recently that went through a whole ream of of chemotherapy and I didn't even know this. My dad is retired. My dad drove him and sat with him for five hours every time he had it done. Because he's like, I'm with you. If 
this is the process that God is going to use to heal you. I believe He can use that process. I'm with you every step of the way. This church will flourish if we help people not shortcut the process, but rather encourage, encouraging them to see it through. So what I want you to do right now is close your eyes and think, is there a person you need to encourage? Is there a person you need to walk with? The integrity of the process doesn't just affect you. So Father, today I pray to invite the music team to come. That Lord, you would use us to take initiative for the kingdom. You would use us as we approach circumstances humbly. And Father, help us to be people who don't take shortcuts and help people to stay on the right process. Because we want to see your name glorified. We want to see your redeeming work in those that need it. Because you're a good God. You are our Redeemer. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't shortcut the process of the cross, but rather that you did the process so we could be redeemed. And then you tell us to go and make disciples. Father, we want to do that.